This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Went to Mo Kings Meadow special summer series, My Daughter the Professional, The Making of. Uh, joining me as ever is my co-host Jane. Jane, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Looking forward to recording this episode. Yeah, I was really excited when I saw the message that we could record tonight. Um, so why don't you introduce our, our special guest? So on this week's episode, we've got Aaron Cuthbert's dad, Steve. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, Steve. Now, when we start these interviews, we like to go way back to you know, baby Erin. Um, so was she a happy baby? Did she cause many sleepless nights or was she a bit of a screamer? Uh, good question. It's, <laughs> it's so long ago and I, I, I had two daughters, so I, I quite often get mixed up with which one was which. But I, I can't remember Erin being specifically a difficult child. I do remember she was slightly longer to actually walk than most other kids because when you go to nurseries, I think there's a, a proud mum moment of my daughter's walking now and it's only eight months or nine months or ten months and I'm quite happy to sit there and say, my daughter's crawling and it's 13 or 14 months and long may it continue. Uh, so, so I think she was a wee bit slow in, in the... In the and uh, actually walking and running, but after that, away she went, and she was zoom, uh, soon zooming past everybody. Very happy child. Uh, never, I, I know it's easy to say, and it's a bit kind of cliche, but she never really gave a minutes a minutes problem. I can't remember. Uh, just completely and utterly fascinated and with football, even from a young age. You know, once once you got to three or four year old, it had to be match of the day and a on a Saturday night, and she would stay up to all hours, and she'd usually end up just uh, sleeping on the sofa beside me as I watched it, as I watched the end of the episodes until such times as she was able to last right through to 
half eleven at night in those days. Uh, but yeah, happy childhood, n n no problems at all with her. What age did Erin sort of start taking an interest in like playing and watching football? And where does that come, your side of the family or Erin's mum's side of the family? Of course, that's my side of the family, of course. <laughs> uh, we, we story is that you buy these prams, and I think they're silver cross prams, which, you know, the old style prams that the nannies used to have in, in the early 1900s or whatever. Uh, and we bought her one of those. I think she was, well, I wouldn't remember. It was for Christmas, four or five-year-old. Uh, and they're very expensive prams. And just after Christmas, we were looking out the back door and she'd taken the hood off and put the pram on its side. And the, the main part of the pram was one goalpost and the hood was the other goalpost. And she just wanted to play football. And the... Pram, which was very expensive, was going to be absolutely destroyed. So we took it and sold it second hand and probably got about £100 for it in those days uh, because she just wasn't interested in dolls. She wasn't interested in playing uh, with a lot of traditional, what could be termed traditional girl things. Obviously, that's not the, not the case anymore. Uh, she just wanted to kick a ball. She just literally wanted to kick a ball. And even when she was going to nursery school, she would just walk with her papa with a ball at her feet and just dribble along the, the pavement for a mile until she got to school. And then her papa would carry the ball home and her papa would carry the ball to the nursery school again before she went to primary. And she would just dribble the ball back again. So she just loved having a ball at her feet. Ever, ever. And I don't really know where... I'd love to know where that comes from, you know, if that's inherent within you or not. Uh, but she just loved football from day one. I played a bit of football. Of course I did. I, I played down in the park and I, I played a lot of football at amateur level and I was a very keen and uh, footballer, but not a good footballer. Uh, never had the skill or ability that, that Aaron had. I was all grit and determination and hard work and uh, and not a lot of skill involved. Typical centre-half uh, footballer I was. But uh, I really, really don't know where it came from. We just spent hours and hours and hours every night playing Wally or, uh, with two sets of goals and we had to shoot and dribble and we'd spend maybe two, three hours a night even when she was six, seven-year-old and that's all she wanted to do. And when the time was ready to come in for dinner, of course, she didn't want to. Next goal, the winner. Next goal, the winner. And if I scored the next goal, then it was next goal, the winner, until she scored the next goal. And that's just the way it was. When she started playing in teams, did she start off playing like at school in teams or was it like grassroots at the weekends? It was grassroots. There was a local team... Uh, I didn't really think of football. I more thought of try swimming. And uh, older sister Emma, she went dancing. And I thought this is gonna, this is me gonna be sitting testing for another uh, four or five years, sitting in a corridor, waiting for the dance classes to finish. Uh, but 
I tried these types of things and she wasn't interested. She just wanted to play football. And we were we were going home one one day and we seen the local boys, because it was a local boys team, Curdle Tool Boys Club uh, at the time. Uh, and she just wanted to play. And I went and asked, or she went and asked, I can't actually remember, if she could join in and come to training. Because they trained a couple of nights a week, but it was literally half a mile from our house. And uh, they said yes, and she just went. I think she was about six, seven-year-old, and she just went and played with the boys. And she continued with our team right up till she was about 11 or 12. And then she moved on to another boys' team and played until such times as uh, the law did not permit her to play uh, with the boys any longer. Yeah, when we spoke with uh, Bethany England's mum, she said that when you know, Bethany started playing with the boys' teams, the only problem she faced was the opposition parents being sort of embarrassed that their boys had been beaten by a girl. Um, what was it like for Erin playing in a boys' team? What was that scene like in Scotland um, at the time when she was growing up? I, I, can, I, I can equate with what Beth's mum has said there because there was issues there was issues with uh, Aaron, with opposition parents as well, especially, and especially women, funnily enough. Not so occasionally the men, but I remember women screaming and shouting at their son uh, to kick the wee girl because it was actually embarrassing for them. And as they saw it in some way that their, their, their little darling boy uh, couldn't beat a girl and they were, they were taking that person. And I, I remember... Many of the day, uh, watching women almost red with rage, shouting and screaming at their son, and they had a pram with another baby in front of them. And I just, I thought this was this was a bit ridiculous. It did give me a, a wry smile on my face. Uh, largely growing up, Erin had uh, not a lot of issues because the couple of coaches initially at Girdle Toll and certainly at Cross House Boys Club uh, were 100% behind her. And there was issues. Of course there was issues. There was an issue, a simple issue, like there's only one changing room. Uh, and that, But the, the coaches and the manager said, that's a problem. Here's the solution. Everybody stay out. Aaron changing the toilets until you... And then Aaron, you change. And not the perfect answer to anything, but the coaches said, it's doable. For every problem, we will find a solution for this. Uh, and that's why she was able to stay with the boys right up till she was 14 years of age. And she played with a great little boys team, many of which, I think it was about seven or eight, turned semi-pro uh, and signed youth, uh, youth S forms, as it was up in Scotland, with uh, uh, Premier League academies. So it was an absolutely superb team that won uh, numerous leagues and cups and everything throughout the period. And it was just at that time that she started uh, doubling up, as if I can put it that way, when she started to play for a local girls team as well, uh, uh, called Kilwinning uh, Girls. And she, it got to the point she was probably training two nights a week with the boys, two nights a week with the girls girls on a Saturday and boys played on a Sunday. So it was, it was literally a six times a week operation. Uh, and what I would say is that uh, 
I encouraged her and supported her in that, but I never pushed her. She always pulled me. Dad, are we ready? Can we go now? It's six o'clock. We have to go. And she, oh, and I, I was, I was left that she was driving it. I was only driving the car. She was driving the whole operation because she would never miss anything. Never miss anything. Uh, one wee story that was probably relevant is that uh, I think it's, it's only started to become a trend. It was never a trend in my day when I went to school. But you, you graduate now and you have a, a ball or whatever, whatever you call it, a graduation ball or whatever. I think the graduations at nurseries now ridiculous and, and uh, as that may seem. But she never went to the ball because it was a training night. So she never said cheerio to anybody at a school. She, she went and done her exams and that was it uh, because she'd won training night for a league which had already finished and they were just training for three or four times after the end of the season. But it's a training night and that's, that was just airing all over. It's, it's training. I don't go to a ball. I don't say cheerio to the people I've went to school with for the last six years because they've got a training night for football. And her view was, if I don't do it, somebody else will be doing it. Uh, and she said that to me a few times. If I mess out, if somebody else is doing it, then I'm only getting behind. So she was very driven in that sense. So I just had to sit in the background and buy her football boots and make sure she had new shin pads. And uh, to be fair, her papa, uh, who's sadly no longer with us, uh, he ended up buying a load of new football boots, much to my chagrin, because he always he, he always bought her the latest boots, and she always had uh, was able to twist twist us twist herself around his little finger and get what she wanted that way. And her papa was very supportive of her in, in, in those terms. Yeah, I suppose having that you know family background where they are you know, everyone supported to go and do what she chooses is, is very important to her growing up. When did it sort of become apparent that Erin sort of was perhaps a bit, he mentioned that a few of her teammates went on to sign academy deals, but when did it come apparent that she had sort of what it takes to make the next step? And did she join Rangers as an academy? Yeah, yeah. After co-winning girls, I mean, I I done my uh, coaching badges so they could at least know a wee bit of what I was doing. I was fascinated. Uh, at that period of time when Aaron was growing up, I was fascinated by Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team at the time. Uh, you know, Puyol and Savi uh, and Iniesta in midfield and David Villa was up front and so on. And I went and watched uh, Barcelona train on a number of occasions and was fascinated by the whole uh, ethos and philosophy of the way Pep set his teams up. And I went and done a couple of coaching courses with the SFA, my badges, level one, level two, level three, and you know went and done UEFA uh, B licenses and stuff. Because not for Aaron, initially it probably was partly for Aaron because you needed a minimum level to coach, and you know the child safeguarding rules and stuff. But after a while, it took over, and I actually had a thirst for education and in, in the football coaching world and wanted to learn in my own right and not just for Aaron so I, I, I brought the girls at Kilwinning and taught them as far as I could take them and she was about 14 that wee team won the Scottish Cup which is a 
the highest cup in Scotland of all the Scottish teams, including all your academies, your Rangers and your Celtic and stuff. This was just a wee small team from Ayrshire, but I just uh, coached them in a certain way, to play a certain way. And at that point, Rangers came in and just continually asked former players. And I think actually four, f- five, five of those players went straight to Rangers from Kilwinning. And I sent them all up with my blessing and just decided to take a step backwards. Uh, and they went to Rangers and they played in this and won the Scottish Cup at under 15s and under 17s. And I think even Aaron uh, at under 19 was an under 19 level cup. I know she was, I know she won the, the treble, the leagues, the League Cup and the, F, and the Scottish Cup at all the different age groups uh, that she was playing in. And then she went, there was a girl called a woman called Angie Hind, who was managing the women's senior team at the time. Uh, and her, Michelle, now the USA, uh, they brought Erin under the wings and gave her a debut when she was, I think, she just turned 15 when she played in senior football. Uh, Glasgow City were always the biggest team in, in Scotland. At, at that point, and have won, I think, now 11 leagues in a row. But uh, that year, Rangers ran them really close. Uh, and Aaron really enjoyed that first season with them, a half season. Glasgow City came in and asked if she would go to uh, them. Aaron said no. I probably agreed with her and said no because she wanted another year at Rangers. There was two players in midfield at Rangers, a girl called Megan Snedden, who had played many times for Scotland, and Natalie Ross, who was also down at Arsenal at the time. Uh, I think at the same time as Kim Little. Uh, and them, them two girls were absolutely brilliant for her. Because Megan Snedden would just work all day and let give the ball to Aaron and let Aaron try and be a wee bit more creative. So she learned an awful lot at the age of 15 with two highly rated international players and uh, then eventually at 16 Glasgow City came again for and she said okay I'll go and uh, she stayed for a year and a half at Glasgow City and next thing Chelsea won her so that's the kind of shortened version. Was it hard for Erin to juggle football and school life when she was growing up or was she very focused academically or was she mainly focused on the football? Well, I don't know how she's in it. I'd like to say she's academic because she takes after me again, but it's probably not quite true. Uh, the interesting thing about the academic stuff was she'd done okay. She got her O-levels and uh, uh, her A-levels uh, and she went to university initially in Scotland because she'd done quite well. Uh, but when she was training at Glasgow City, going right through to the hires, it's, so it's not A-levels in Scotland, it's it's hires. I was brought up in the A-level system myself. Uh, all she would do was do her homework in the car on the way up and do her homework in the car on the way to back down and revise. And the whole way through the academic period, uh, she never once missed a training session, never once, even during the exams. And you've got all the hires and you've got about 
an exam on a Tuesday or Thursday and all the rest of it in May. She went to training. And if that involved getting up at two o'clock in the morning to then revise for the exam the next day so she could go to training the next night, that's what she'd done. She never, I think it was somebody told me, I think it was Angie Hind when she was up at Rangers said, that's now a year and a half and Erin's never missed one training session for a year and a half every single week. And I said, I'm glad you're keeping a record because I'm not. <laughs> but uh, probably the mileage in my car told me <laughs> that, uh, but bottom line was she found it difficult to squeeze it in. The teachers were can, could have been a wee bit awkward. Parents' nights was always uh, uh, an interesting night for me because uh, at that time, and I don't blame the teachers, but the kind of view was, what are you wasting your time in football? She's not going to be a footballer. So why are you taking all this time? Why she could actually get a good grades in her maths. She could get a good grades in her English or biology if she spent more time at it, uh, so, and so on and so forth. And I said, no, she's continuing with her football because that's what she really loves and what she really enjoys. Uh, and they said, they, they kept saying the same thing, there's no future in it. And Erin played with Scotland on the 15s and on the 17s, and she needed a week away in Albania, a week away for Euro qualifiers and all the rest of it. And this was in the middle of exams. Sometimes she had to miss uh, mock exams and all the rest of it because she was away. But uh, I always just wrote the letter saying she's away with Scotland and she'll be back in a week and a half's time and please give me her exams or give me some homework for her and she'll do it when she's away. And uh, so she balanced it as best she could, but football was always number one, always number one. But as I say, she got good enough grades to go to university. And now uh, when probably, uh, to be proud of her and the football, I would probably say, no, I'm not. I'm proud of her getting a degree this year uh, because she knows football. She can play football. That's what she does. You shouldn't be proud of somebody for the because of the job they do. But I'm proud of her for doing something that I didn't think she could do, which is getting a degree and squeezing that in during her football in the last three years at Chelsea or four years at Chelsea. So I'm much more proud of her for doing that because I know I've had a, a long few phone calls about assessments and uh, putting uh, needs three thousand words and. Starbucks marketing strategy or something like that you'd come up with. And I said, well, Google is your friend, <laughs> you know, but we had, it was a wee bit more complicated than that, obviously. So I was actually proud of, proud of her for sticking at that. And quite often, even when she was playing with Chelsea, she was staying up to two, three o'clock in the morning to meet deadlines for university all the time. So I'm proud of her achieving that, probably more so than what she's done in the football. Yeah, it sounds like she's done really well, sort of like managing her time between the two. I struggled just at school. I don't know how people can juggle two things at like once. When did it sort of come apparent to like you that a professional a career in football was sort of the way Erin was going to go down? Well, uh, you you never know because in football you have to be asked, and we're a bit isolated in Scotland. We're stuck up here, and I was kind of wondering. I don't know if anyone will ever make a footballer. In fact, I don't know if anybody even knows about her. Uh, 
and uh, I think it was I think there was a couple of other WSL teams uh, were interested in Erin and a couple contacted me because Erin hadn't got an agent she was only 17 years of age and uh, she was just going to start a, a university but uh, there was a couple of people had mentioned to me managers the Scotland national team manager and all the rest of it said We've had inquiries about her and we've asked, people have been asking about her background, people have been asking about uh, her attitude, her dedication and so on. And it suddenly clicked with me that these people who were asking were doing essentially background checks before they would actually make any move in there. And it was only at that point when a couple of people had mentioned what people were doing in the background with regard to her and asking various questions that I thought, but maybe as possible, she's got uh, could make a career of this down at, uh, well down in England specifically. And I, she had options. She was asked to go to America, and she was asked to go to a couple of other places. But she decided no. She wanted to go to England and turn professional as soon as she could. And uh, that invitation came from Chelsea first of all, and uh, she went down and met Emma Hayes. Uh, I think there was a, 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 a friendly arranged that uh, I think Millie Bright and Karen Carney and a few of the other players played in against a boys team, especially just throwing in to see if she would uh, cut it. And uh, if I remember right, Emma uh, drove Aaron back to Heathrow because Aaron went down to London herself at, at, that, at that age. She flew down. Somebody picked up from Heathrow. Emma Hayes drove her back. And uh, by the time she arrived in the flight in Glasgow, there was an email with an offer of a contract straight there. Emma said, I want you. And uh, uh, that decision was very quick and very easy to make for her. Uh, that's what she wanted to do. And it's, we had a quick chat about it, which lasted probably about 10 minutes. And she said, I'm going, Doug. And I said, good, you're going. Fine, go. Just going back to sort of Glasgow City, because you sort of know men's football of you know Rangers and Celtic being the powerhouses of Scottish football. But in the women's game, you know, Glasgow City, as you mentioned, are sort of the top team. How does the sort of women's league run in Scotland? And you know, why did Erin decide to make the move from Rangers to Glasgow City? Is just because they were the top team? Yeah, it's 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 kind of uh Glasgow City have been a top team for the last decade plus. Uh, they've had numerous players. Uh, I, I could name a lot of players. People like Jane Ross, who obviously went to West Ham and Manchester United. Lisa Evans, Emma Mitchell. Uh, the, the last can go on, Christy Murray and so on. All played with Glasgow City, Rachel Corsi, uh, before they... Uh, went down to England or America or Sweden or wherever wherever they went to because uh, they're always the biggest team and people are attracted by success and Glasgow City had a good recruitment policy of if you were good, you were asked and the vast majority of people would say we've been fighting hard for the last two years to beat Glasgow City we can't beat them and I've been asked to join them so I'll go and join them uh, because Glasgow City uh, the difficulty with Glasgow City, and people don't realise this, is that uh, because Glasgow City was so successful, they had to essentially reinvent themselves every year. 
because they kept getting top players taken from them, top players moving on and going to turn professional in various leagues. So from that point of view, they had to keep reinventing themselves by taking the best young players in Scotland to keep their the position as number one team. Uh, that's obviously changed a wee bit in recent times because uh, Rangers, Rangers especially, and to a lesser degree, Celtic also now, uh, have come slightly late to the party, but are now offering professional contracts to their players. And for the first time, you're seeing players attracted to Rangers and moving from Glasgow City to Rangers or moving from Glasgow City to to, to Celtic or moving from Hibs to Celtic and so on. So it's not going to be the one-horse race that it always was because once Rangers or Celtic put the might of their, of their financial clout behind a women's team, uh, it will change the landscape of the women's game in Scotland. Only for the better because it will make it much more competitive. Uh, so Aaron when she was playing, as a Rangers supporter, everybody knows that. You only have to look at her Twitter feed to realise she's a Rangers supporter. Uh, and, you know, she's not going to hide away from that. And I'm not going to hide away from that. So she wanted to play for Rangers. And that was a, a, a little dream of hers to, to put on a Rangers top and represent that team. But at some point, she quickly realised that Glasgow City were playing in the Champions League. There only was one team in Scotland they could ever play in the Champions League at that point. It's, there's now uh, two teams. But uh, if she wanted to get that greater and wider exposure, then she would have to go to Glasgow City. And there was a guy, the manager at the time was a guy called Eddie Black, Eddie Wilecki Black. Uh, and he uh, was very good for wanted her, spoke to me, uh, and said what his plans were for where she would play and so on. And uh, she went to she went to Glasgow City and she fitted in quite well because uh, she didn't go there as a wee girl, even though she was only just turned 16. Uh, she wasn't a wee girl. She went there and said, I'm good enough to be in this team. And she would train in that type of way, with that type of attitude of not being... I'll pass to somebody else because I don't want to make a mistake because they're all, you know, uh, international players uh, and I'm not. Uh, Evan's got a very strong character that way and says, if I'm here, it's because I deserve to be here. So I'm the same as you and I'm equal to you. So uh, she fitted in very well at Glasgow City. Eddie was good for her. Then a guy called Scott Booth came in, who's the new Birmingham City manager. Uh, he came in and she had about a year with Scott, uh, and then uh, we got a phone call from Emma Hayes, who said, uh, would you like to come down to Chelsea? And uh, the initial reaction at that point was from Glasgow City was no, because uh, they had a league season to finish, and they had a cup final to play, and it was eventually agreed that Aaron would go down when the season finished. Uh, and up in Scotland, the season finished in November. It's, it was a summer league at that time from March to November. So Aaron went down at the end of November, beginning of December to Chelsea as soon as the season was finished. Uh, and then she decided she would move to Chelsea. 
Yeah, you mentioned the Champions League with Glasgow City, and I believe they played against Chelsea during Aaron's time at Glasgow. Yes, well, Aaron, playing the Aaron, game. Played, Aaron played against Chelsea both in both games. Uh, the second game wasn't highly successful. That was the time when they were playing at uh, Staines. And uh, Chelsea won 1 0. And I think, I can't remember, it might have been Frank Kirby that scored the one goal. Or was it any Luco? I can't remember for sure. But it was 1 0. It was a reasonably tight game. Uh, Chelsea was with a better team. Glasgow City had a great chance to equalise and won each other in a different type of game if we went back up to Glasgow with a wee goal. Uh, and the return leg when we went back up to Glasgow, uh, Aaron started in a certain position in midfield and she remembers it slightly different from me because she said she was hooked after about 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It was slightly longer than that, but uh, Scott Booth decided to, to change the whole shape of the team uh, because Chelsea scored an early goal and that meant they were 2-0 up with an away goal uh, and Aaron was substituted during the first half and that was that was a hard one for Aaron to take because it was a tactical decision by the manager that I don't need another midfielder in there, I need somebody else. Uh, and that was his decision and his prerogative to make that decision. But it was a difficult one for Aaron to take. But that's, it's, it only makes you stronger that those types of uh, little uh, downfalls that she's had during her career, uh, everything hasn't been perfect for Aaron, it hasn't fallen into her lap. She's always, have, always had to fight for her place in every team she's went for, to. And that was just another example of having to fight. And she, she got quite a bit for somebody who was going at 17 or 18 down to Chelsea. She'd played Link Shopping, home and away. And she'd played another Swedish team, home and away. And she'd played quite a lot of Champions League football, where it was simply a lot of time out of possession doing shuttle runs from side to side and very tactical and so on. So she was probably above her age in terms of understanding of the game, having been exposed to those types of tactical games when she was when she was very young. Uh, and that, that certainly helped her when she went to Chelsea. But then when she went to Chelsea, it was, it was starting all over again, fighting for your place. Uh, you know, there's a girl in the midfield called Katie Chapman who's not going to move for anybody, especially not a wee 18 year old girl. She's probably going to knock her for six and train in the first 50 50 tackle she can go and say, Welcome to Chelsea, and I'm the boss. And, you know, so she went there and there was, you know, Gemma Davison was out in the wing. Ennio Luca was up front with Fran Kirby. You know, where does Aaron fit in? Well, Aaron says, I'm going to have to fit in here somewhere. I'm going to find my spot. And she eventually finds her spot and then Chelsea reinvent themselves every year and she has to re refight and find her find her sport again. And right up to she found her sport a year ago and then Sam Kerr comes in and Melanie comes in and Penella comes in and you know she's gonna to have to fight for a sport again and reinvent herself and reinvent a position for herself or try and react to the manager's change of shape to find out what was best position. Could you play a wing back? Could you play a central? Could you play a holding midfield? That's up to Aaron to, to fight for that uh, position all over again. But she'll keep fighting. Uh, do you think that, that game against Chelsea when she was on the opposite team, was that sort of 
Do you think that was crucial in sort of Chelsea getting an interest in her and, and knowing her as a player? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask Emma that one, <laughs> or, or, the, or whoever was scouting at the time. I know there was somebody up in Scotland who had contacted Emma and said, "You have to look at this wee girl." Uh, and so, Chelsea being Chelsea, they've got contacts all over the place and people who kind of refer uh, players into the into the system. So, uh, I, I, I probably did. I remember. I remember that game. Uh, for a couple of things. First of all, uh, she tried to tackle Millie. <laughs> and that's not, a 17 year old girl, very slight and small, tackling Millie's. There's only one winner in that, in that contest, I'm afraid. Uh, and uh, so she was given an, uh, you know, an eye opener to you know, the standard. Chelsea were out at that stage. Chelsea have obviously improved massively since then, but even at that stage, uh, I think it was Jilly Flaherty and uh, and uh, Millie Brake were, were the central defenders, and I think uh, Claire Rafferty was probably one of the fullbacks. Uh, and uh, that she was, she, she seen that's what the standard is, and she said, "That's where I want to be." And that's, you can only get better when you play with better players. And uh, when she went down to Chelsea, she she, she loved her from the from day one. Uh, she, she's almost kind of, she's a loyal wee sod. So, uh, you know, she's Chelsea through and through up till now. And uh, she's just embraced the whole kind of London is blue type of approach to life, which will probably please people like you. Yeah, we like to hear things like that. <laughs> was it a difficult decision for Erin to move down to Chelsea or was she like quite excited or did she feel nervous obviously being so young uh, it was very disappointing and sad for me for moving down to London because I'm losing my wee girl because she's still only my wee girl at that point uh, but I never told Erin that and I wouldn't say, I don't want you to go or I'm going to miss you or anything, because that's only going to confuse her uh, and make it a wee bit more awkward. So the background checks were done. You know, when you're recruiting a player, Emma has to ask, is she technically good enough? Is she physically strong enough? Uh, but you also have to ask questions of, will she miss home? Could she live by herself in a flat? Is she sensible enough to get a bank statement and deal with a council over registered for council tax? You know, there's all those that stuff off the pitch that Emma has to do her due diligence uh, and check the background of the player. And basically the answers everybody got was she's a sensible wee girl that's more than ready to move down to London and live by herself and deal with everything that that involves off the pitch. Uh, and you can only do well on the pitch when you've got all of that stuff off the pitch being dealt with uh, and under control. And when she came down initially, she, she shared a house for the first, I think it was six months or so with uh, Beth England and Hannah Blundell, which helped a lot. And I think G was at, at the house as well. Uh, and then Erin being Erin, she wanted to go out and live by herself. 
and she was very determined to live by herself. So uh, within within a year and a half or so, Erin was away living by herself. And I think probably some people at Chelsea were surprised at somebody so young wanting to live by themselves and have their own flat and their own space. But uh, if she's like me in any way, that's definitely a way she's like me because I'm, I'm very much a person who wants to live by, you know, would want my own place and live by myself. So since then, Erin has lived, lived by herself and uh, controlled all, controlled everything from paying her gas and electricity to changing her gas and electricity every six months to get it cheaper to, to uh, paying her council tax and uh, uh, sorting out what colour of bin goes out on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or whatever it may be. Erin's uh, very organised that way and very, very much in control that way. So off the pitch, somebody done their due diligence so she was ready to go down. I'm sure she had her reservations. Yeah, we had loads of phone calls, loads of chats, loads of talks, especially initially. You know, it was, I, I, she phoned basically every day when she went down at the beginning. And I thought that wouldn't really last. But now she's 23 and she still phones me every day. And she still talks to me every day. So obviously done something in life when I was growing up that she wants to talk to an old fuddy-duddy like me uh, but yeah we, uh, she still wants me and her mother she, she phones every day as well to be part of her life and she tells me what score she got at golf today or or whatever uh, or some issue about Wi-Fi is not working in the house what to do that type of thing so uh, and that's great because I still feel part of her life every day uh, we try and not talk too much about the football side of things because uh, we we do occasionally talk about the football side of things, but that's something for Erin to deal with. And if, if she wants to talk about it, she can. But mostly it's about an Ian, an Ian Boeing things like, are you thinking of changing your car? And me telling her what cars I like and what cars she likes, and we can agree to disagree. And uh, that's the type of conversations we have now. Her move down to Chelsea, did she sort of change much and did she de develop as a player and a person? Uh, she changed a lot on the pitch because probably not a lot of people realise that Erin, when she was playing with Rangers, when she was playing with the boys, when she was playing with the girls team and when she was playing with Glasgow City, was a defensive midfielder. And always was a defensive. She'd never played as, as a striker. She's never played as a winger. She's never played as a number 10. She's always played as somebody who's uh, wants to tackle, get on the ball and do simple things, pass it to somebody else who can be the creative one with the vision or she can try and uh, pass the ball. So there was a lot of adapting to do when she went down to London in a football sense and that she was asked to do different things on the park uh, play in different positions, learn the attributes and the skills required and the discipline uh, of playing different positions. So all of that was new and she had to embrace that and she had to basically do what the manager wants her to do in a, in a certain position. And uh, so that was, that was quite new because most of the positions she was being asked to do were new to her. Uh, as, as a person off the pitch has probably become she, she's somebody who's quite strong and knows her own mind 
I've seen that develop over the last two or three years, definitely. So uh, it's not up until the early part of when she went down with Chelsea, I could advise her to do things and she would do things. Now we can only discuss and I can give my opinion and she'll do what, what, what she wants to do uh, because, because she's, as, as I see it now, she's a, a fully grown individual woman in her own right. And if she wants my advice, uh, she can ask for it any time. Whereas at the beginning, I was always offering advice because I knew she needed it. Now she doesn't need that advice half as much because she, she knows her own mind. She's quite strong that way. Yeah, during her time at Chelsea, she's obviously had lots of success. You know, four WSL titles, an FA Cup, a Conti Cup, and a Community Shield. What's been your highlight of watching her for Chelsea? Uh, my my highlight. I, I've never, and Aaron's definitely the same. I've never judged Aaron's performances based on on achieving actual things like how many goals does she score, or or, or things of that nature. She's if you ever watch Aaron play football, she celebrates other people's goals more than she celebrates her own. And because she's very much a team player, and that's that's the way I brought her up to be as a team player. Uh, and if you ever see Panella heading the ball in the back post or Sabbath, if you look at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, you'll see Erin with her two hands up in the air celebrating by herself because that's the way Erin is, uh, very much a team player. So in terms of, in terms of enjoying it, I've just enjoyed her increased maturity and understanding of the game. Uh, I have a couple of probably personal highlights. I, I don't know. One of the personal highlights was, a, I think it was a goal against Doncaster Bales. When she, I, I remember that one when she picked the ball up close to the outside of only 18 and, and dribbled and then passed it wide to, I think it was Eni Aluko, who crossed it. And she'd run, sprinted the whole way to the back post and headed it in. I think if you try and look that one up, it'll be on Twitter somewhere. I, that gave me immense, um, immense pleasure. That goal, uh, we personal highlight was scoring a header against Arsenal. And I've, I've, le- I've come to learn that any goal against Arsenal for Chelsea is good. But for me personally, Aaron scoring a headed goal against, Ch- against Arsenal was very good. Uh, uh, and so I, pre- I appreciated that as a, as a personal highlight. Uh, winning the Continent- Continental Cup was obviously a, a personal highlight as well. Uh, at, up at Nottingham Forest ground, the city ground, I, I went to that game myself because uh, Arsenal were, were starting to gain their ascendancy towards the end of that game. I think Aaron knocked the ball down to Sam Kerr. We passed it into Marin. We passed it at the back post to Beth England, and the rest is history, as they say. Uh, so I, I, I enjoy small individual moments like that, but I, I get immense pleasure when Aaron chases back and gets a slight tackle in and blocks somebody. Probably one of my proudest moments was when she done a job and on you know other other players uh, in the in the opposition and just stifle their style of play. And Aaron's probably best at doing that. You know, something springs to mind, like when you played Manchester City and she just had to do a job on, on Lucy Bronze 
trying to restrict Lucy bombing forward, trying to stop Lucy uh, getting on the overlap, getting dangerous crosses in. Aaron, go and do that job. And Aaron will say, right, OK, I'll go and do that job. Uh, somebody else can go and fancy and get all the goals. And I'm quite happy in the background just doing a job for, for, for the team. So those types of performances make me immensely proud. Uh, but uh, I, I like to see us going to go at the, the, the community shield against uh, Manchester City because it was a wee personal goal of mine that you scored a goal at Hamden and now you scored a goal at Wembley. So that as a kind of tick, tick. So, yeah. uh, and uh, hopefully she'll score a goal at Stamford Bridge one day and score a goal at the Emirates one day as well. Well, I've heard they're rumoured to be playing the uh, opening game of the season at the Emirates, so hopefully that could be um, even a heady goal at the Emirates would be good. Oh, well, that would that, that would be very good. <laughs> if selected, if selected. Yeah, we spoke about the highs. I think we need to speak about the lows as well. I read recently um, an interview you gave where you spoke about uh, Scotland's exit from the World Cup and how that had affected Erin. How did that experience for her help after the Champions League final defeat, did did she use that experience to maybe not have the low as much? Chidge, JK, in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live... <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great! Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Ginge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play.
possibly uh, the the World Cup. I got over that quicker than Aaron, and I didn't realise it affected Aaron quite as much as it did, because she kind of did go in and go in on herself a wee bit on that one, and she took it quite heavily. I was bitterly disappointed, of course, that they didn't win, and I was I was a wee bit angry, but I, I moved. I tried to move on as quickly as I could from uh, that Argentina three-three game. But it really, really did affect Erin. She was really disappointed and really down about it for a period of time. And uh, unfortunately, it was the summer. And uh, uh, I think everybody else had uh, been away for holidays. So she had to go for away for a wee holiday by herself. And again, that probably didn't help because she's by herself and she's probably thinking about it. The only good thing in that holiday was she had to take a laptop and get another university assessment and because she was already late for one because of the World Cup. Uh, but I think the, thing, the big thing that helped her was just coming back. And it was a long drag, and I appreciate that now. It was a long drag to Chelsea's pre-season. But once she got back in with the girls and, pre- and started the pre-season again with her little Chelsea family down there, that probably got her going again and got her uh, getting in love with the game again because she probably, I've, I've, I've heard her say that she did fall out of love with the game for a wee uh, short period of time because it was just such a devastating blow because Erin's a, it's, it's black and white with Erin. You know, there's, you're a loser or you're a winner. You know, there's no, there's no grey areas. It's black and it's white. And, uh, and Erin was a loser on that day, unfortunately, and it, it, it takes its toll on Erin when she's a loser. Uh, she, she wants to be a winner, and that's the only thing that's important to her. Uh, so I, t- I, t- I, took a, I took a wee while, the same way as it, as it took a wee while for the Champions League uh, final. The, the difference there was that Erin uh, uh, didn't start that game and didn't come on to later on in the, in, in the second half. So she probably didn't take that quite as badly because she wasn't on there to influence it and wasn't on there to, to feel and take a lot of the blame as she would have taken herself if she'd have started and would have lost uh, the game the, the way they did. She'd have probably taken that harder. But because she was a bystander watching it uh, and probably not being able to do anything about it, she didn't take that probably quite as hard as she took the, the World Cup exit because she was on the pitch for the whole 90 minutes of the World Cup exit. So she took that a wee bit harder. Yeah. So, Steve, you do some scouting for Chelsea. What makes a player stand out to you? And why do you think, what, in, what, in your opinion, what made Erin stand out to Chelsea? Right. Uh, well, first things first, I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to say too much about the scouting at Chelsea because it's quite confidential, obviously. And, yeah, uh, that's fine. Uh, uh, I'm not going to give away any trade secrets here. Uh, oh, the first thing I'd say about the scouting is it's amazing how hard Emma and Paul Green and stuff work throughout the off-season and even throughout the season, looking at players all the time. Uh you wouldn't believe the work that goes in behind the scenes between with them two and loads of other members of staff. Uh, but it, what 
there's different when when you're scouting there's different age groups and you have to be aware of what the kind of level should be at different age groups i watched somebody like billy gilmore for example who played with a local team up here tas uh, thistle and i remember watching him play when he was about i don't know i think i can't remember what billy would have been eight nine ten year old wee boy and he stood out in that team and you have to say, well, why would a wee boy stand out above all the other wee boys? Well, sometimes, see if you have to ask yourself the question, what fruit does he kick with? What's his preferred fruit? If you have to actually ask yourself that question, then he stands out. Because kids shouldn't be able to be two-footed at such a young age. They shouldn't be confident using their left foot equally as they're using their right foot or or the other way around. So, so that, that there's something that makes somebody stand out. Uh, somebody that has got a bit of vision and sees a pass early at eight or nine year old, uh, they'll stand out because most players are checking to see if the grass is green all the time with their head down, looking at the ball because they're frightened of if they dribble and the ball's going to bounce away in front of them. And if players... If you just see a player at nine-year-old playing with a head up, if you see a player communicating with other people and telling somebody to stand still or to move forward, that's them starting to understand the dynamics of the game. And you'll only get one player in four or five young small boys teams that will be doing that. And they stand out because of it. And I know these things seem obvious, but it's not obvious. Uh, if you watch young girls at eight or nine year old, uh, or boys at the same age, uh, there'll be a striker and he'll stand up and there'll be two defenders who stand with their arms behind their side, one at right back and one at left back, and they don't come across the halfway line because it's all regimented and shaped and they don't understand the fluidity of the game. And if you get a young player who understands that, they're way, way ahead of all the other kids. Uh, and if you get somebody who just puts their head down and works, you, you always get a poacher in every team. Somebody just stands up front wants to score all the goals. And, he, and his job is not to try and run back and get the ball or try and chase anybody. He doesn't understand that concept at that age. Everybody just gets the goals to him. And he goes to his mum afterwards and said, I scored a hat-trick, so can we go to McDonald's now? And I'll get I'll get my reward. You know, that's 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 the basic level of thinking at that age. Uh, and then you see another boy who's working, who doesn't get frustrated because he makes a run and another wee boy tries to two poke it to him, but he hasn't got the ability to pass the ball properly. And you'll see nine kids out of ten throw their hands up in the air or get frustrated and annoyed, and you'll get one in ten who will immediately turn, chase back, try and win the ball back again. So there's there's a lot of uh, things that are so easy. It's actually easy at nine, ten-year-old to see the kids standing out. What's difficult is when you get a 23-year-old international player that plays for France and you're comparing them with a 23-year-old international player that plays for Germany. And now you're looking at the the nuances of their game, you're looking at small, small things and to see the difference between those two players. And that's where it can be really difficult. You have to watch each player 
probably about 10 games each in different scenarios against different levels of opposition and different environments uh, to try and take out the slight differences between one player who might be stronger defensively compared to another player who might be slightly stronger offensively. One's got a, a better ability to control the ball with their first touch compared to whose first touch is magnificent, but not quite as good. Because all I have to do is, if there's 10 high balls and they miscontrol it once and the other person doesn't, you have to count all of these things. So you have to go into it in minute detail. Uh, so what made Erin stand out was probably air determination. She never give up. She'll just chase all day and she'll come off with a bright red face. Uh, but she'll always leave everything out in the park. She'll always leave everything out in the park. Uh, and not everybody will do that. Everybody says, I give 100%. Everybody will say that. They didn't. They give 98%. They give 99%. And they think they give 100%, but they didn't. They didn't. They didn't dig that wee bit deeper. There's, I always taught Aaron one thing, uh, if I taught her anything, was A, well, two things that I always thought were most important for a young player developing, and that was one, to be two-footed, uh, and number two, to play football in your head, not with your feet, always playing in your head, always thinking ahead. Uh, and if you look at the Champions League goal that she scored against Leon, that was voted the the goal of the season at Chelsea, she had that from outside the box where left foot. She never even thought. Now, if you're right-footed, you're doing the wee shuffle to get the ball round to your right foot. And you see, if you watch any, if you go to any grassroots game uh, this weekend and watch eight-year-old boys, if the ball's in the left foot and the through and goal, they'll shuffle and shuffle until they get on the right foot before the goal. No, just had it with your left foot. And I always taught Aaron, whatever ball, uh, whatever foot the ball comes to, just hit it. And number two, be ahead of the game in your head, play football in your head. And I think a great coach from Danny Alves, who played with Barcelona, when he was asked about Xavi to sum up Xavi, he said, Xavi plays in the future. And what he really meant by that was Zavi's playing three seconds ahead where everybody's going to be in three seconds or four seconds. That's where he's going. That's where he's playing now. And so I try to teach Aaron to, to, to be mentally exhausted at the end of a game as much as physically exhausted because you should be thinking all the time. What are you thinking now? 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 And if you go and ask a lot of wee boys, well, I'm not, I'm thinking about Power Rangers. Or I'm thinking about what I'm having for my dinner tonight. No, what are you thinking now? Football related, please. Uh, so that's very, very important. And, and you'll be able to see that. You know, Billy Gilmore is a classic example of Billy was a wee boy that was always playing, was mentally exhausted at the end of games because he was always thinking. He was thinking, 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 scanning, scanning the park knowing what he was going to do with the ball before the ball came to him. And that's really, really important. 
So those are the two most important things I always thought when I was when I was teaching Erin was to think ahead and to be two-footed, control the ball, hit them. And I think I I, I done a wee thing, well, I checked with Erin a wee while ago. Erin uh, doesn't score many goals, but when she scored for Chelsea one season, I think she got about eleven. And I think seven of them were with with the left foot. And three or four of them were with a right foot. Now, she wants the ball to be on her right foot all the time, because if she take a penalty, and if Aaron's told, in fact, Aaron has taken a penalty for Chelsea, she's going to hit it with a right foot. She's not going to hit it with a left foot. So she's got a preferred foot, a stronger foot. But most of the goals she scored were with a weaker foot. And the only way she was able to do that, she wouldn't have scored any of those goals if she was right-footed only. So I, th- I think it's so, so important because it opens up both sides of the pitches. If you've got the ball on your right foot, you can pass it right. But if you've got the ball on your left foot, well, you can't pass it to the left because you can't hit the ball with your left foot. You can only pass it with your right foot. So it opens up the whole pitch if you're two-footed. And probably one of the, the, the best players for that, and I've seen it so many times, was Frank Lampard. When he played for Chelsea and the ball came out to the edge of the box, he would just run onto it and hit it with whatever foot it came to. And that was why Frank Lampard scored so, so many goals for Chelsea, because it was two-footed. Steve, I've got to ask, are you her biggest critic as well as like her biggest fan? Like, Do you point out what she could have done better or is she very self-aware about her game? Yeah, she's, she is self-aware. I, I probably was her biggest critic. I'm not a biggest critic anymore because you'll just tell me to shut up. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was her biggest critic, and and maybe that's that's not something um, uh, you know particularly proud of. But I was a biggest critic, but I kept quiet till she always asked me. But she was always inquisitive, and in the car on the way home. I always said, I'm not going to chastise my kid. You know, no matter what age you are, we're not going to have the post-mortem of the game on the way home. But she always raised the topic. Dad, see in the second half, when I got that, and I know exactly what the incident she'd be talking about, because my, my mind was saying, during the second half, halfway through, she should have had that ball rather than pass it, or she should have passed it rather than hit it. She said, should have passed that rather than hit it. And I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, you've done the right thing. Or yes, you should have passed it rather than had it or whatever it may be. So I would wait till she asked because I tried not to have too deep a post-mortem, but sometimes I couldn't help myself and I had to say something occasionally. But uh, there was an element of I tried to make sure she enjoyed the game. Uh, and there's not a lot of enjoyment if you put a lot of pressure on kids because then the enjoyment starts to go out of it. The lucky thing I had was that Erin put all the pressure on herself. Erin uh, really enjoys the game, but she only enjoys the game when they win. She'll never enjoy a game when they lose. Chelsea can lose 5-4 to the Emirates, uh, and Erin can score all four. Well, don't talk to her after the game, because she's not going to be happy. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Erin was probably her own biggest critic. She knew exactly which probably the incidents that she could have done better in a game. We did discuss them, but as time has gone on, 
I discuss less and less with her. I know myself, I watch the games all the time. Uh, I go down and hopefully I'll get down to King's Meadow when it opens again to watch the games. And I will see incidences and they'll all go up there. And if she wants to talk about them after the game, fine. If she doesn't, well, control I'll delete and they'll all be deleted and they'll go on to the next game. We've got, obviously, the Olympics on at the moment. I think, Erin, in my opinion, I'm lucky not to be part of that GB squad. Have you spoken about that with her or has she seen sort of maybe it's an opportunity for her to play for Chelsea at the start of the season with obviously so many players being away all through pre-season now with the Olympics. Is she sort of excited for the season ahead now? Uh, she is excited for the season ahead. I haven't really talked to her much about the Olympics. Uh, uh, obviously, I watched the game this morning uh, with uh, Canada. Uh, and uh, I, I watch all the games. Part of my scouting activity is to watch as much football as I can, so I have to watch all the games. Sadly, I watch the, Japan, the Japanese game, I watch the Dutch game, I watch all the games uh, at some point over the next couple of days, uh, that's part of my job. Uh, but uh, we don't really talk much about the Olympics. I think, you know, it's, Aaron probably did want to be in the Olympic team, you know, at, there's, there's an easy way for me to deal with this and say, Aaron didn't really want to be in the Olympics anyway. And if uh, she wasn't really fussed, uh, that would probably be disingenuous of me because I'm sure she did want to be in the Olympic team. But she wasn't back to everybody. You know, football's a matter of opinion. And at Chelsea, the only opinion that matters is Emma Hayes and her assistants and her coaching staff. And for the Olympics, the only person who's... Uh, Opinion matters is is Hegarish's opinion, and uh, her opinion is as valid as the next person's, or probably more valid than the next person because she's got great knowledge and experience in football. So Erin wasn't picked. So it, it's a topic I don't don't really discuss. But as you say, it gives her an opportunity now to be back in training and to try and hit the ground running with Chelsea, uh, and that's something that Erin will relish. Absolutely relish because uh, it's hard. Emma's a hard taskmaster and hard to impress. And uh, all Erin can do is get a ugly mug in front of Emma early on and try and impress her as much as she can. Do do what she needs to do in training. Push hard and hopefully remain injury free and be ready for the beginning of the season because it's going to be difficult for those people who were away at the Olympics in terms of managing their load uh, because they will have been, a, I mean, the, the schedule for the Olympics is, is insane. And it, anybody who knows anything about football and periodization says that that, that uh, whole programme of game, two days off game, two days off game, two days off game, two days off game, uh, Will have it. Will make it. Will have its toll in a number of players, and when the Olympics finish, those players will genuinely need a break, and they will genuinely need a rest uh, period. How long that rest period is, and it'll be different for every individual, depending on how much they played and how much they can handle the stress on their body and what age they are, and so on. But Erin uh, will have an advantage of having this a, a break. And the same as Penella, Melanie, Drew, 
loads of other players have had that opportunity now to have a, a break and go back into training fresh. And hopefully they, we have to remember that they aim to build up for the 4th, 5th, 6th of September, whenever the first league game is going to be played against Arsenal. The other girls will be at a peak and getting to a peak and maintaining a, getting to a peak about two weeks ago and maintaining a peak for the next three or four weeks right into August. And then the difficulty is how much do you let that peak drop off and for what, how long do you let that peak drop off before you get back up to the peak again and begin the September. And that's going to be uh, a job for the sports scientists and people who are much more knowledgeable about it than me and we're going to have to look at all the data and all the figures to see how, how we manage each each person's individual workload uh, building up to the beginning of the season. But Erin hopefully has just got a, a free run at having a proper rest, having a proper off-season, and now having a proper uh, pre-season. So hopefully it'll give her an opportunity to stake a claim uh, for uh, a, starting, a starting position uh, for the first game of the season. And... That's up to her after that, uh, if she maintains it. Erin's fully aware that every game's different. Formations are going to change. Tactics are going to change. Some players are going to be more suitable for certain games. Some people's skill set is more suitable for certain games, depending if we're going to be playing on the break. We're going to be playing against a low block. We're going to want to overload the central areas. We want to play wide and stretch the play. Erin appreciates all those, that type of stuff. So uh, I, I, I don't think anybody is going to play. Well, I would pretty much guarantee nobody, nobody is going to play all the games next season. There has to be an element of rotation. And it's just a matter for Erin to say, can my rotation be as small and as little as possible, please, Emma? And the only way she can do that is impress her with, with her performances. So uh, she'll, she'll relish this opportunity just to get a proper pre-season under a belt. Yeah, I think uh, a versatility, versatility obviously helps with the different formations and, uh, and changes and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, versatility is a great, great gift. It's also can be a, a something <laughs> that that is, is maybe not the best because if you're seen as versatile, you're just shunted about and you become a... a uh, uh, jack of all trades and a master of none, as it were. Uh, but it gives you an opportunity to, you know, fill in as as Aaron can fill in doing a negative job in somebody, or she can fill in wide doing a positive thing, or, or in a central area, or as a centre forward, or as a deeper lying midfielder, as she's played a couple of times for Chelsea. So that versatility is great, but there's also the element of for some players, they love the specialism of just learning a specific position and knowing that next week, if they get selected, they're playing that very specific position, which they're very comfortable doing, and they know uh, what to do, no matter what scenario comes up on the pitch. They will know what to do because they've met that scenario before in playing that position. So there's a, there's a plus and minus about being... Uh, uh, versatile, but Erin uh, will probably always probably be in the versatile uh, uh, group, 
but uh, uh, she probably would uh, be nice for it to kind of have a specialism in one specific area, but uh, that would be up to Emma to to identify what that area is if, she, if Emma wants that to be the case and to play more specifically in one role. But uh, as I say, that's Emma and, and Paul and Denise and Stuart's decisions and, and how they want to play and how they see Aaron. Everybody sees Aaron differently and I'll probably see see. I'll probably see Aaron slightly different from what Aaron sees herself, never mind what Emma <laughs> sees her as. So uh, that's just the way it is. A final question from me, Steve, would be around the future, both long-term and immediate. Is Erin happy at Chelsea and where do you see, where does she see herself in about five years' time? Well, the second question I can't answer because I That's... don't know where Erin sees herself in five years' time. I know you'd love an answer to that and, <laughs> and I can see why you're asking that. Uh, oh, she sees herself at Chelsea and she'll be there for, you know... Uh, uh, she'll she'll be there longer than than uh, than Drew will be there, uh, but the first question is a lot easier. Is she happy at Chelsea? And the answer is yes, she is happy at Chelsea. She she in, enjoys being at Chelsea, and I think uh, she would find it difficult, maybe not impossible, but she would find it difficult to play for any other WSL team, and I, I genuinely believe that she would find it difficult. To play for, you know, I'd like to think it'll be one of the top teams, but I think she'd find it very difficult to play for Arsenal or Manchester City against against Chelsea. Uh, I think that would be a, a slight issue for whether she was ever able to overcome that or not is, is another thing. Uh, where she'll be in five years' time, uh, I have genuinely no idea. She could. There's, an, there's a, certainly a chance that she'll still be at Chelsea. Certainly a chance she'll still be at Chelsea if she can, if she's still good enough uh, and putting in the performances and getting the game time that uh, would make her happy and fulfilled at Chelsea. Uh, but it's not to rule out that she could be somewhere else. But as I say, I, th I think she'd find it hard to play for another WSL team. Uh, but the... The thing is that you always think that's within Erin's grasp and decision. You have to be asked by somebody else to play for them, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, it's okay saying that she would like to play in Spain or she'd like to play in France or something. You know, PSG have to come in and say, we want Erin Cuthbert. And, you know, that's with, that's not in Erin's domain to be able to say that or, or Wolfsburg or Bayern Munich or, or any team to want Erin to play for them. Uh, the only way Erin could uh, ever get that question even asked of her and have the difficult decision to have to answer that is to play well for Chelsea. And it's the only way that somebody else might ever ask her the question, would you want to move, is if she does really well for Chelsea. If she doesn't do well for Chelsea, nobody's going to ask her that question, would you like to come here? So, and Erin Aaron knows that, so Erin will play well for Chelsea, not because she wants somebody else to ask the question. She'll play well for Chelsea because she wants Chelsea to win everything. And she wants London to be blue. <laughs> there yeah. you go, say it again. Well, we obviously we want Erin to, to play well, but we don't want anyone to ask for her. We're happy for her to stay at Chelsea for, for her career. Um, Steve, a massive thank you for joining us. Sort of To sum up sort of the episode, if you could try and sort of sum up what it means to have a daughter who happens to be a professional footballer and sort of how that 
you know, happens with the family and stuff like that. If you could maybe try and put that into words for us. Uh, oh, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> uh, it's it's just nice in the background to know that Aaron's a professional footballer. I can sit and read a book. I can go about my daily life as my wife can go about her daily life, do the job that she does. Uh, but in the background, we know that we've got a young girl that we brought up who's doing something uh, that she absolutely loves and has got, has got a very high profile in terms of being a, a, a girl's a women's professional footballer. And I am proud that the, the opportunities are now there for the women because talking to you 10 years ago, those opportunities were simply not there. And the, the opportunity to actually make a living out of football and fair and to go down to London and to be able to live herself uh, was simply not there 10 years ago. So uh, I, I'm really pleased, A, that the girls have got the opportunities. I can only think, I can only believe the opportunities are going to get bigger and bigger, especially with the Sky deal and uh, the profile of the women's football. Uh, and I'm just quietly content that Erin is happy. I just quietly like going down to the golf club and playing a game of golf and somebody comes up to me and says, how's Erin doing? Cena and Cena, I watched the game on Sunday. That makes me happy because every single one of those people that says that to me did not watch women's football. Two, three, two, three years ago, never mind eight, nine years ago, they didn't watch women's football. And the, the amount of people say I watch women's football because uh, I like Erin or I want to watch Erin play or I know you, Steve, and I'm following your daughter and I would, oh, I've seen Erin on TV or I've seen Erin getting interviewed or something. And that makes that makes me really happy that uh, she's actually making a difference to a lot of, a lot of people's lives and making uh, a lot of people who weren't interested in women's football actually interested in women's football. And especially in Scotland as well, because you know Scotland's got a society which was very much against the green of of you know women shouldn't be playing football. Never mind whether they can or cannot play football; they just shouldn't be. Uh, and we we seem to have a, a quite a chauvinistic society, which is gradually changing, of course. So it's nice that uh, she's doing it. She's Scottish as well, because. Uh, uh, it makes a lot of people up here actually realise, yes, women can play football, yes, girls can play football. And it's nice that some actual men who have been professional footballers can actually speak to me and say, I watched Erin playing football, she's actually really good. Uh, that, that's quite important to me because it's, it's, she's obviously making a difference to, uh, uh, to, to wider society in terms of where to perceive women and perceive what they can and can't do in terms of their, their ceilings and their limitations, which are really becoming limitless now. Yeah, for, for being put on the spot there, Steve, I think you did a, a great job at answering, in, answering that one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thanks again for giving up your time to, uh, to join us. And I'm sure I speak for every Chelsea fan when I say yeah, thanks to you and to Erin's mum for raising such a wonderful footballer and a wonderful person as well. Yeah, well, I, I just hope she continues. I mean, see, see one of the things I, I wish the most, see at the end of games, 
I don't tell her to play well. I don't tell her to enjoy herself. I don't tell her what to do during a game. I tell her, see when the game's finished, make sure you have time to sign autographs for people. And she does that. She's almost one of the last then. She'll always do that. And I appreciate her doing that because I want her to do that. I'm desperate for her to do that, but she actually wants to do that herself. She actually has got time for the people who turn up. So that actually makes me proud, if you ask me. What makes me proud on a match day is the amount of time she spends after a game just signing some wee girls. Like, because uh, I have got photographs of her holding a wee autograph book out and getting Julie Fleeting to, to, sign her, to sign a wee autograph book and for Joe Love, who she ended up playing with at Glasgow, uh, Glasgow City, but when she was maybe eight or nine, going to Scotland games and, and holding that wee autograph book out and being desperate for some of these players. And I know how much I appreciate those players coming over and just giving 30 seconds of their time to say hello, ruffle, ruffle the kid's head, hair and, and sign a, a football or a talk or something uh, and now Erin's in that position and it'd be very easy for her just to run down the tunnel and just get away from it all but I, I'm actually proud that she spends so much time after the games and I hope she continues to do that yeah, and if she doesn't if she doesn't I'll have a word with her <laughs> <laughs> well we'll be telling her that we know we know our dad won't be Jane when we see her at Kings Meadow next season yeah, yeah, she's definitely one to stay out after the fans. And like, I've got a little cousin that I take to games, and she loves like seeing the fans. And she's all. It's the ninetieth minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I'm so happy when Aaron comes over. Yeah, well, that's the reason I like it for people like your little cousin. Because Erin actually appreciates what it means to these wee girls because because she's so young herself and she's it was only so recent and fresh in her mind that she was your little cousin asking for an autograph for a wee girl. Mm-hmm. So she's been in a privileged position very quickly, so she appreciates that. Uh, and uh, long may that continue. Yeah, absolutely. If if you've enjoyed listening to, to Steve speak, make sure you share this on your social medias um, so everyone can to listen to what I would describe as an education. 
Um, but yeah, that's it for this episode. Stay tuned. We've got two more recordings in, in this series to come as well, so look out for them. But until next time, Chelsea fans from Kings Meadow to Wembley, keep that blue flag flying high. Thank you.